When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to another exciting edition of Summer Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. Oh, it's so good to see your face again. Although I did get to see you already this week, but we'll talk about that. Because first, very excited. It's been a while since we've had a guest on. And so I'm super, super excited because this is a guest who you know and who you brought to us. So if you'll take the intro away. (laughs) Sure. So um, we'll... The inspiration for doing these movies actually comes from our guest. Uh, it's a dear friend of mine who I used to work with, and we actually competed in, in we were in an award-winning um, drag race trivia team. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Yes. <laughs> I think you remember. I forgot um, all about that, yes. <laughs> this is my dear friend and horror fellow horror queer, Adam. Hello, Adam. Hello, thank you for having me. And yes, I remember all about that trivia night. The first prize was a crap prize. The second one was much better, and we ended up winning that. So I'm glad we lost that final um, sudden death round to that really bad lip sync where they kept making it go until the one person they wanted to win won. Exactly. We had to lip sync. (laughs) There was a tie. I don't know if this was a real tie, but there was a tie. Mm -hmm. And so then they made the two tied teams lip sync for their lives. Mm -hmm. And so we sent our friend, Andrew, who, you know, is the most fit and the most, you know, he's, he's the one who is most comfortable. He's a pretty hot commodity in that region. The the aesthetically pleasing one you sent. Yes. 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 But he didn't pander. He didn't, he didn't shed clothes. The other uh, one did shed shed clothes and, you know, did a did like a half-assed, you know, did shablam <laughs> situation. If um, we call it that. Then the people hosting it kept doing, all right, audience, who do you think? The audience was very clearly in favor of our friend. The person he was against was a, was a very popular person in that bar. And they just kept repeating the applause until it finally switched over to him. And they said, oh, look, we have a winner. So I, I'm not bitter. We're calling shenanigans. Kangaroo <laughs> court. Kangaroo yes. court. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the Russians yes. hacked it. You gotta love like our our queer butocracy. You know, uh, <laughs> the most beautiful or the most popular. You know. Yes. You you just you gotta love it. Um, I love We're that show. Standards. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I do love that Joe kind of slipped in there that, uh, you know, this is all your fault if this conversation does not go well. Like, (laughs) (laughs) no pressure. Um, Yeah, I it was just an off the cuff conversation. But I had a lot of very strong feelings about having recently watched the 2021 version of what we're talking about. 
And that's, I think, what kind of what birthed the baby, if you will. Yeah, well, and I'm all it. about yeah. yeah. We're we're all about strong feelings. We're all about yeah. overthinking horror. <laughs> you know, we're ruining we're ruining people's enjoyment of the genre since 2016, right, Joshua? So <laughs> I don't. Hey, I get a lot more people that have become fans <laughs> of horror. I think through our show and that you know never really thought of horror in the way that we contextualize it. You know, so maybe not every film, not everything is like no. you know a win. I think the the horror movie night guys are going to see Wrong Turn and be like, what are they doing? <laughs> I well I. I actually okay, think well, you're yeah. both doing the genre a huge favor because it's been one of my secret favorite genres for a long time. And as you know, in award circuits and other areas in the industry, they're always crapping on horror saying yeah. it's just dumb, can't be fun. But there's so many examples, and I'm sure we'll get into it later, of how, no, this is all just as artistic and meaningful and impactful as anything else. So if anything, you're just contrarians who are ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd well, say. I, mean, you know, I mean, it is becoming more, I think, more of a, a, a space of like academic like rigor than it ever was. I mean, there yes. are, of course, books from, you know, way back that have been analyzing mm-hmm. horror in the in this way. And when you expand horror to include like gothic literature and stuff mm-hmm. that we have been, you know, studying in colleges and in high schools for, you know, a century, it feels, yeah. um, you know, horror has been given like a really interesting place it's just what people consider horror is so like mm-hmm. it, it, again it's that like elevation like oh no but it's not like it's not like this horror and so we're trying to like yeah. apply that more and more because i definitely when i started this show i definitely kind of came more from that highbrow like oh we're not going to talk about that because this film mm-hmm. encapsulate those ideas better and is a better film but now it's like as i've been on this journey yeah. what i've discovered is no there are actually a lot of really great i mean we did stephen king's thinner and it still is one of my favorite episodes to talk about because i don't think that's a very great film but like we talked all about like fat phobia and the villainization of fat bodies and it was just such a really fun conversation with our friend who's an attorney adrian and it was just like i mean there's a lot of films and like wrong turn you know there it's like Mm -hmm. one of those where there's actually some academic conversation around it that i'm like huh that is really interesting so i'm excited there's some real meaty pieces of this pie (laughs) yeah yeah, so I'm very, very excited to get into it, but we we will get into that in the second half. But first, I just want to see like what have what have people been doing? Obviously, Joe, we got a very, very immense pleasure this week to have Tiffany, who's been on the show before. Uh, she did a an episode with us about dead snow, Nazi zombies, uh, in in Norway. Um, <laughs> And she's been living there for the last couple of years and she visited us this week and we got to have dinner with her and it was so, so lovely. And it was lovely to see you, Joe, in person, in the flesh I know. and feed it you w- potatoes. I forgot that, <laughs> I forgot that like you, I often forget that you have that lovely formal dining area. And so, and so like to see everyone sitting at a dinner table, I was like, oh my God, are, is one of us going to betray the other tonight? Like, <laughs> is this, you know, who who gets betrayed with a kiss? Where are the 20 pieces of silver? Like it was very, I, I was like, not since the Last Supper has there been, you know. Such has intrigue. There, such intrigue. No, there wasn't any intrigue. It was just, it was just so nice to be like, ah, like, you know, this is what, this is what, like, when I was fretting at three in the morning this time last year about where where my life was going to be and if I was going to live past a pandemic. Like, this mm-hmm. is, those are things that I was thinking about. So it was very nice to see you. Very nice to see Tiffany. Um, and then also, like, I mean, very, because Ashley was there too. Very nice to see Ashley because I realized I haven't seen or hugged her in a long time. I know. Our, she's, uh, Ashley is really a uh, big part of, like, the Fright School family. So she's been so helpful and 
lovely. And yeah, I realized like when Tiffany was like, let's invite Ashley. I'm like, our final girl. We haven't seen her in forever. So (laughs) it was such a pleasure. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, on on like a because we know this is where we talk about like a watching note i haven't so i'm gonna say this right now because we will get into it and i'm okay with spoilers but i have not watched most two, the two most recent episodes of drag race uh, All Stars. <gasps> i know so adam sucked all the oxygen out of <laughs> out of the room right now because i do most things let me tell you <laughs> so but i know people go home i know that jan is being painted the villain which, I, at least from what I've seen, there are mm. people who have been painting Jan as it's the like villain. It's such a lazy... I don't even think... I don't know. I mean, we can get into it, I guess, if we're going to talk about Drag Race. But, mm-hmm. I, well, Adam, you go first. You give cause that, cause that way you could talk a little. <laughs> I wouldn't know. You're fine. Um, I would... I don't know if I would fully say she's getting the villain edit so much as I think she's getting the... I agree with what Bob the Drag Queen said on the pit stop with Trixie that it's really ultimately the producer. In general, my own thought is that the producer's hand in this season is very, very evident and not hard to see at all. So I think the fact that we have this whole everyone gets a win millennial strategy that they're doing is a very telling sign that there's been some challenge wins where I'm like, that's really odd. You know, for example, was it um, two episodes ago? I think Joe, you may have seen this one. Were the pink table talks? Oh no, that's the one. That's the okay. next one I have to watch. But okay, yeah. I won't say who wins it. But there's a very interesting turn of like, oh well, clearly A, but actually it's B, and it's like, what? Yeah, it was a weird choice. Yeah. So I think Jan, if anything, is just getting more of the. She's. I think if anything, they're setting her up to become a villain, but I don't think she's gone there yet. If not, they're kind of just giving her the Laganja treatment from season six. So all yeah, star six, season six. <laughs> I was gonna say, if anything, she seems like I don't know a little delusional or something about like mm-hmm. her like status yes. in the competition. But was it her? So I think the other thing oh. is is like yeah, holding the like the producers responsible because. Joe, you saw the Super Bowl one, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so clearly mm-hmm. Trinity K. Bonet won that. Like, there was zero conversation, like, to be had. Like, obviously. Yes. But then mm-hmm. it was, who actually took that? Was mm-hmm. it Jan? Yes. Yeah, it which was, yeah. was bonkersville. I was like, wait, mm-hmm. what? And so now, I mean, if people are going to be mad about, like, you know, at Jan, I feel like that's the thing. But that's not really her... Yeah, I don't. I just haven't found anything to be mad about. I don't know. I also have to admit something, y'all. This is like Drag Race Anonymous. This is that a safe I've, space, right? I have been so like checked out of Drag Race in some ways. Like I watch every week, and it's like, oh, it's mm. fun, but it's like it has been on for twenty three years, eighteen days, twelve <laughs> hours. Like it is on constantly, and it's just four like, scores seven years yeah, ago. I can't remember who like some of the people are. Like I, I enjoy All Stars. I'm really happy to see Pandora. The last thing that they did and i mean she's been posting all over social media so i you know i don't know if i'm spoiling it joe but they were gonna they're doing a american horror story riff and i'm like okay well pandora doesn't play myrtle snow i'm gonna burn the house down a lot of people have strong feelings about what happened to that episode regarding her well it was that uh, that's a whole other thing too about writing these kinds of parodies and stuff as well which i mean Mm -hmm. we'll save you know i'm looking forward joe to seeing it but it was i was just happy that at least the casting you know with her at least uh, you know and and i've been like rooting yeah. Pandora. It's like, I just don't care. I'm like, if Pandora wins, I'll be happy. Whoever else, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> but that's just because I'm, you know, trying to 
champion an aging an aging queen. Well, can you imagine? <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, the 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 utter gag it would be for Pandora to win All Stars. I, mean, I mean, would be shocked, but I'm it would be shocking. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that means that Pandora's on the level of Chad Michaels, of Trixie, of all that stuff. Not that mm-hmm. she's not. You know, she is a classic. She's a yeah. classic queen, but like you know, it, no, you can definitely I mean, tell. Right. I, I don't you definitely tell they're grooming someone because yeah. when you're like they're they're trying to skew yes. the results. Um, yeah, yeah, Joshua, I, I'm I I'm kind of there with you. That's why I keep I just let these episodes kind of I let these episodes kind of play out, and and then again, Drag Race Anonymous. When I watch, I like I'm not fully engaged. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I'm not like I'm not watching it in the same way that I would watch and prepare for mm-hmm. a film for the show. Like it's very, it's it's very like my phone is out. I may be doing something else. It's just on in the background, yeah. and because everything everything from like when they announce the challenge to when they do the challenge to when they actually present the work, like all that stuff that's in between yeah. is kind of filler, and so the show could essentially be twenty <laughs> thirty minutes, but <laughs> they right. let all that drama uh-huh. come out. Well, it's meta too. Like All Stars is like the meta version of Drag Race because they've all been on yes. it before. They're hyper aware of how they're coming off, hyper aware of like how they're edited. I think you know. I mean, again, it's not as if they have control of it. I don't know if you've yeah. seen those. Um, these uh, this uh, guy put on YouTube, and then this lawyer I follow, Legia Miller, uh, did like mm-hmm. a breakdown of the contracts. Like it's nuts. The contracts they signed. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Show. Uh, it, it's crazy. So it's not as if they have a lot of control, but they're still very, very aware of it, and they've kind of been through it before. Yeah. So it just makes All Stars kind of an interesting watch experience because they all are, I think, are a little more careful or a little bit more like, oh, I don't want to come off like I did last time or blah blah blah. Well, they're so aware of the fans and how the fans are going to act because look at what happened with Silky, right? And particularly, so many of the queens of color, particularly black queens, yeah. Yeah. are always terrified of how the fans are going to react, and for good reason. When someone's on a reality show where they're locked in a room for 12, 14 hours on a stage with this paper pink walls, no real light, they're being told by producers, "Go stand here, go say this, go start this argument, whatever." They're saying whatever vulnerably in a confessional or being led into saying things. They then see a completely different rehashed version of it on TV by an audience who's struggling to understand it was a produced, edited show. Right. And that what ha- anyone else who was in those circumstances probably would have had the same. You know, if I was in that circumstance, cut off from my technology, my phone, whatever, locked in a room pulling my dick behind my ass in six inch heels, I'd be a little frustrated too. So not it's to not going to bring up the, <laughs> very hyper, like the, the hyper, yeah. uh, you know, world they're inhabiting. Exactly. Not to mention the fact that like, they're also carrying with them like epigenetic trauma of like, you know, from, from being <laughs> epigenetic, like racial trauma and like yes. just the overall trauma of being, you know, a more femme presenting yep. person in a, you know, of being <laughs> in, in homophobia. And so yeah. it's, it's like, okay, you take people who, you know, especially in the early days when people who like are maybe not as self-aware, of yeah. or you know have mm-hmm. tried to who have gotten who have sought out you know 
ways to help themselves and then you put give them a you give them a platform like that it's mm-hmm. not it's going to bring out kind of the worst stuff one of one of my favorite moments of drag race is when yeah. katia talks to fame and it's all like girl i feel like i'm about to relapse like yes. having that yep. honest moment about mental health i think that was the first that was mm-hmm. the moment where it's like okay yes it was produced yes it felt like it, it felt you know in the moment it was just like mm-hmm. oh it was really nice to see though it was one of the first times they ever tackled that topic of addiction in the LGBTQ community. Cause yeah. that is a huge issue that is always swept under the rug, kept quiet. And a lot of us, if we were in a room and told, raise your hand, if you know someone who's struggling with addiction, a lot of us would do it, but we never talk about it. So that was one of the first L- like main queer times when addiction was just put front and center saying these people we idolize and, um, put out there as like our mascots, if you will, or just people that we're excited about, we're inspired by, they're dealing with those incredibly humane struggles of grief and coping and whatever it is that's, you know, leading their addiction. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm like an idiot there. <laughs> Feel free to cut that. No. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's all like I, I, extremely relevant, you know? And again, it just feeds into like the thing of like, you know, this is like a reality television competition show. So, of course, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, and it's like our version of like football or something. Each week we're getting together and like, you know, you, you know, vicariously tearing into parts of our own community via these drag yeah. queens. If you watch on Twitter, if you watch on, you know, as people fight and argue. Mm-hmm. And it's like, girl, I made a joke about someone I've known for 20 years. Like, why do you, mm-hmm. why are you making this drama between us, you know, or, or whatever? And yeah. it's just, yeah, it's kind of this weird feeding frenzy of like negativity. And so mm-hmm. that, that's the part that's just, I just can't engage with. I enjoy watching them do their makeup um, as somebody who loves to wear makeup. And, you know, it's always yeah. fun to watch that. I love to watch people do their, uh, do their costumes or do the challenges mm-hmm. but yeah a lot of like the drama or especially the the manufactured drama between them because it's like you're all adults you joined a competition series yeah. you know like of course you're gonna be you know have challenges so do you th- with each other do you think it's that man behind the curtain factor that kind of disillusioned us though is because we know how produced it is how edited it is how it they're really just in a pressure cooker that that's what kind of causes us because i'm the same way as both of you i still love this season but i think part of it's because i now know not to invest a lot in it because it doesn't matter what i think it's already predetermined separate from them all trying their best but there's a clear hand of the director and the or the producers in there but also there's just a, such an over, almost, oh, I don't want to say oversaturation, but there's just such a strong presence of drag in mainstream culture now, at least queer culture, that it almost is like, great. And now it's um, Drag Race Redlands, California. Like that's the next series that's <laughs> yeah. going to come out in Drag Race Inland Empire. Yeah, so, no, I'm, um, I'm... <laughs> Yeah, I made that joke a few like episodes ago or somewhere. I was just like, eventually, mm-hmm. it's just it's going to be illegal not to be on Drag Race. Like we're all yeah. gonna, you know. So it's like when as we talk about these things, like well, when I'm forced to be on it uh, for the <laughs> for the um, you know satisfaction of the masses, uh, you know, then I'm going to have to do it this way. <laughs> It'll be a hell of a twist from the movie Battle Royale, where the, instead of being drugged <laughs> on a bus, they're all drugged somewhere and brought to Drag Race. Wear a wig, bitch. Get yeah. the wind. Lips yeah, for exactly. your life. <laughs> It'll be uh, a drag race Appalachia just to kind of bring it all back. Ooh. You know, bring it all back and uh good transition. Good transition. Wow. Um, um okay, so real quick, who do you who do you think who do you want to win or who do you think is gonna win? 
my my ideal sh- I, it's I think it's way too soon to pick one person, but the two people that to me feel like they're either getting the that kind of treatment, like Joe said, they're being groomed a certain way, mm-hmm. are Ginger and Eureka. Those are the two who I think will most likely get it. Eureka, I feel like, and I love her to death. She's just, to me, just kind of been meh the whole season. But there's one episode I think she actually should have won. But other than that, she's just been meh to me. And then the other one, again, Ginger, but my dream ideal, too, that I'm rooting for right now is Trinity K. Bonet is one of them. And then the other one is, and it would mean a big, ooh, I don't want to spoil it, but there's another one. Someone separate is Raja O'Hara. Those are two that I'm really, really, I feel like I like them personally. I like them in their challenges, like they're in on the runway. Like they're just bringing me what I need every episode. Yeah. I just think that Trinity's grown a lot too from her original Mm -hmm. season. Like I feel like every time they go into a challenge, she's like, well, this isn't my thing. You know, like I feel like she's Mm -hmm. just grown a lot between. So I would like to see her win too. Uh, Like I said, I just, I always love the quirky weirdos. I mean, I remember when Sharon Needles, the very first time she walked the runway, I'm like, she is going to win. She better win. And I was Mm -hmm. very happy. Of course, now I don't, if my opinion of Sharon Needles is a little shakier, but that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Um, And then like Jinx Monsoon, I really rooted hardcore for jinx i was just like mm-hmm. i want her to win so bad and then when she won i was just so happy so i don't know pandora is like that for me with this where i'm just like oh i just would love to see somebody weird win who's not necessarily yep. famous famous like obviously people know who she is but she's not on par with like trixie she's not going to get millions of yeah. views on youtube most likely but i mean i'm glad that if nothing else i hope this gives her a resurgence in her career so a hundred percent yeah nothing else it's it's a it's it's a, it would be just reparations for the mimi i'm first <laughs> yeah <laughs> Courage, uh, charisma, uniqueness, nerve, talent, and synergy <laughs> bullshit yeah. of, of first All-Stars. That was such, yeah. such ugh, terrible. That was just awful. Um, You'll so, never forget. <laughs> all right, so taking a hard left into the horror realm. Um, uh, it was As kind if of fun we're to... taking a wrong turn. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I yes. had to do it. <laughs> but um so this week dear 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 listener if you're not following us please follow us at fright school on all the things uh but particularly twitter because it's really fun when they do these watch parties so this week on uh i think tuesday the uh blu-ray dvd whatever home release of spiral happened a uh, spiral from the book of saw and so they did a watch party on twitter uh spiral hashtag spiral watch party if you want to go back and read all the nonsense i posted uh with uh, darren lynn bowsman who was in some i don't know what country he was in but it was like two o'clock in the morning he had to get up and he's like tweeting <laughs> from like <laughs> making a film somewhere <laughs> and the writer uh josh uh oh no his name just left me and he was so nice he like was very responsive to every time i wrote anything um Stolberg, Josh Stolberg, hosted by Megan Navarro of Bloody Disgusting. And it was super fun. Uh, so that was kind of like the big horror thing I did this week was watch uh, watch Spiral again with a host of, you know, a million Twitterers. <laughs> but it was kind of cool. So they were just talking about like making the film, sharing a lot of behind the scenes. Apparently, like if Darren does a... Um, a director's cut it's gonna be like four hours long because the studio made them cut so much stuff especially gore Mm. they showed the full like skinned body like they were showing pictures of that and uh they you know in that in that scene uh 
and it was just it was really neat they showed some uh the full like uncut version of the uh finger pulling scene mm-hmm. uh some of the traps uh talked about like working with the actors it was really super cool so i just wanted to plug that and spiral is out on you know this is a non uh non con con yeah <laughs> <laughs> no no sponsorship but it is out on uh dvd and blu-ray i actually picked up the steelbook version of it and i also got the steelbook of all the other Saw films, one through eight, so Saw through Jigsaw, which is actually kind of a cool package, shiny. Ooh. Hopefully I can take that somewhere and get it signed by Mr. Mr. Tobin Bell. If, uh, you know, we're able, ever able to be together again in person with people. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's what I did. That's, that was my thing. Also, we wrapped up the Fear Street films. Uh, Joe, have you watched them yet? No. <laughs> You answered your own question. Yes, <laughs> asked and answered. Have you did you, so? Did you do an episode on it, or was it just you had seen it? We're going um, to do one with uh, with some special with some, guests very soon. Yeah, some friends that I um, have a. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you're fine. Go ahead. I, I, I will I accidentally say, spoil it if I talk too much. <laughs> I have a very, very particularly strong feeling about something that happens in the first one. Joshua, I'll tell you at some point. I don't want to ruin it for Joe. <laughs> I'll take my headphones was, off. <laughs> <laughs> but I was sitting there, and I was just like, "That did not just happen," and I'm upset. And I wanted, to, I want to do a full Karen moment and just be like, "I want to talk to the director of this. I have a problem with this moment." And you might guess what moment I'm talking about, but we'll figure that out at a later time. Oh, I love a white male wanting to t- t- talk to the female director of the horror film to correct her. That's <laughs> No, I'm tired fucking with I know. I know. But I think you'll agree with me that there was something. Well, now I want to now I really want to take my headphones off. If you guys I mean, I Joshua, if you are okay with folks potentially <laughs> learning a spoiler, I'm happy to take this no, off. We'll so talk can, about yeah. it at, We'll talk about okay. it after because okay. that way, okay. you know, just just to keep all the Fear Street conversation to to you know <laughs> off the Fear Street uh, episode that we're going to do. I did enjoy it. I'm not spoiling much. I, I did enjoy that at least they centered very much a queer relationship, and it was sort of fascinating in that way. So it was uh, astounding. Yeah, yeah, especially like. Uh, you know, well, never mind. Okay, we can't. We can't keep going on. We'll we'll talk after. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, that w- I watched that. I watched part of Netflix released a new Blood Red Sky, which is like a German vampire film. Hmm. But I was, uh, it was late last night, so I stopped it um, to go to bed. But I may have to like return to finish it because it was, it was, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. So, dear listener, if you have watched Blood Red Sky, it just was released, I think, this past Friday or something on Netflix. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Trying to think what other horror stuff has been going on. Not much. Oh, they did uh, sci-fi related. They did release the new full trailer of Dune. Are we Dune fans? <sighs> my f- my mom and my sister, when I was growing up, watched it all the time. And my mom, while she was doing dishes or baking cookies, would just go, Arrakis! Arrakis! <laughs> Didn't know anything what was going on, but she loved it. And I remember watching parts of it as a kid who didn't understand sci-fi or horror at the time. I was just like, what the fuck is this weird-ass 80s shit? Why does my sister <laughs> like it? But now as an adult who knows what's good for him, seeing the new trailer, I'm just like, I need to go watch the original right now and get ready for the new one. 
because holy shit did, I uh, can't pronounce his last name well, but the director of that just did an astounding job. I was a huge fan of him on Blade Runner 2049. Oh, yeah. I think he's doing a great movie. Yeah, I always have to see, it's Dennis uh, Villa, Villeneuve. 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 Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. I just started the novel, the original, the Frank uh, Herbert. Uh, Ooh. Is that it, Frank Herbert? Yeah, Frank she Herbert. She reads, novel. Adam. She reads a lot. Yeah, she reads a lot, actually. Just I read books. I'm a Serena Cha-Cha. I read books. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an art One of my major. favorite drag race. <laughs> yes. Um, One of my favorite drag race moments ever. I read books. Yeah. She's... She was she was something. Uh, yep. <laughs> fun to see. Didn't she pop in for two seconds? <laughs> I can't even remember. Yeah, she just kind of strolled on, and they're like, "Keep going, girl. Glad to have yeah. you. Keep on going." Yeah, it's very yeah, go sit yeah. with Jessica Wild in the back. Right. <laughs> oh. God, she tore it up Jessica though. Wild. Damn, Jessica Wild she, is. She did tear it up, but I was we're try, like, "We're trying, yeah. dear listener, to get away from drag, but we can't help it. We're just right back." That's who we are. <laughs> um. But anyway, so I, I'm enjoying reading oh the gosh. novel. I'd never read it before. Jeffrey's a big fan, so I'm rereading it. Then he's mm. going to reread it before we see the movie. Because I did just sit down and, and watch the whole, um, oh gosh, his name just left me, the star of the original. Um, Kyle McLaughlin? McLaughlin, that's it. Kyle yes. McLaughlin. Yeah. yeah. So I just watched that. I think Sting pops up in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I just watched that like a month <laughs> ago uh, or so just to get kind of an idea about what Dune is about. And then I'm reading the mm-hmm. book now and I'm like, Oh, I actually really am enjoying the book. I like sat down to read, like just to check the first page or two out. And I read like five chapters. I was like, Whoa, okay. I'm into it. Uh, but I am excited. The new trailer looked really cool. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to the new, the new film coming out in October. Other than that, any other news? Any, did you watch any good horror this week, Adam? Anything that you recommend? No, uh, the only things I saw was just I wrapped up the Fear Street trilogy the last okay. weekend and was equally blown away like you were. So other than that, I've been trying to be in a space of happier movies. I have to balance my horror intake and just overall emotionally devastating story style movies that I like watching in a balance with like SpongeBob and Rick and Morty, then Hereditary, <laughs> then something else really sad like The Keepers, and then I watch SpongeBob again. So big extremes. I like that. that yeah, it's like my all stays. Yeah, because my <laughs> so much of my life just really stays in horror. So it's like, well. I'm watching this horror thing. Now I'm going to watch some old Beetlejuice cartoons on YouTube, you know, or uh, Real Monsters, <laughs> which I love as well. So it all kind of stays in that realm. Um, I have such a hard time leaving the horror genre, but it's only because, you know, this show also, I mean, I definitely watch a lot more than I ever would. Well, I don't know if that's true. I probably would be watching horror right now instead of recording this, so that's not true. <laughs> I watch less <laughs> horror because of high school. I don't have time. Um, all right, let's. Uh, we're gonna take a really quick break, and then we will be back to dive into uh, Wrong Turn, two thousand three, and the new uh, reboot, remake, re whatever, uh, reimagining of twenty twenty one. Be right back. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris to Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. 
We know podcasting and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. All right, welcome back. So yes, today we are going to take a drive again into the uh, into the wilds of, of, of America here with uh, Wrong Turn 2003 and Wrong Turn 2021. So interesting, two very uh, different c- contexts these films are being made in. So it'll be fun to talk about that. But I kind of want to first start off with... I'm going to read a little bit to you, dear listener, and then you could check the link in the in the comments for the full article. But this is Wrong Turn, The Representation of Gender and Class. So uh, here we go. Don't go into the woods is perhaps one of the oldest warnings in horror cinema with origins in traditional fairy tales. The notion of wandering from the village to the deep, dark forest becomes in modern horror cinema, driving from the city to take a vacation in the country. In any iteration, the message is blatant. The country and its peoples are dangerous. And when I say that these films depict people from the country as dangerous, I mean that they are usually inbred criminals, a hyperbolized image of how American people from the city view their southern neighbors, degenerate rednecks made so backwards by the backwoods and so beyond the civil limits of the law that they violate not one, but two of Western culture's most heinous taboos. Much has been said in horror uh, horror film criticism about redneck cannibal cinema's operation of a class-divide narrative, speaking about Toby Hooper's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which heavily draws on this genre's narrative. Robin Wood poses that the family, after all, only carries to its logical conclusion the basic, though unstated, tenet of capitalism, that people have the right to live off other people. Cannibalism in Wrong Turn is a metaphor for consumerism and gender. The film is concerned with, as its title suggests, all kinds of wrong turns. The wrong turn from city to country, but also the idea that these city men and women have wrongly turned against their biological nature. Literally have gone against the grain. So we're going to sort of center our conversation a little bit in the discussion of gender in the film. Also, yes, uh, the urbanoia that we've discussed a little bit in the past. Um... So, again, uh, we'll start with a wrong turn and kind of try to discuss the film separately, but we'll see because there are definitely a few strings we can attach between them. Uh, So, wrong turn 2003, we've got directed by Rob Schmidt, uh, starring, um, again, a veritable who from the early 2000s, Desmond Harrington, uh, (laughs) Dexter Fame, Elijah Dushku. Uh, Jeremy Sisto. Uh, is that the Clueless dude? Yes, he's played? Elton yeah. from Clueless. Elton. Jeremy Sisto. So, yeah. and then Wrong Turn 2021 is directed by Mike Nelson and written again by um, uh, Alan B. McElroy, which was I thought was kind of cool that the original writer came back to reinvent his own property. I thought was uh, interesting. Uh, and that star Charlotte Vega, Bill Sage. Um, I was really delighted by uh, what was his name? Uh, Tim Desarn. Oh, okay. Who's pops up. He's like a character that pops up in all kinds of things. So let's start as we always do. Joe, uh, what did you think of the wrong turns? <laughs> um, I texted Joshua last night when I was watching um, the remake of wrong turn. And I said, I hate to be that person who prefers the reboot, but dot 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 <laughs> I think I am um, 
Uh, very, very much so. Um, yeah, you can definitely tell that the original Wrong Turn is of its time. Um, it has also Kevin Zegers, which just add Kevin Zegers right onto my, you know, the early aughts uh, spank bank that, you know, I had at the time. <laughs> Uh, I know we have but, to like rename this whole series. Like I'm gonna have to go back and rewrite like the whole thing of just you know, uh, vacation horror, aka the spank bank Joe spank bank massacre. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Joe spank bank massacre. Well, because we did we did the <laughs> we did the re, re the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that's got like mm-hmm. Eric Balfour and Jonathan Tucker and like okay, everyone. Yep. You know everyone who mm. you're happened to when you're a young, you're a young, you're a young little queer. Joe, you're like recontextualizing all this. You're getting to like relive that time in your life, and now you're just like, if you had seen those oh. these movies, then you know you would have been like, oh, I'm gonna save you, Eric, and you could like <laughs> picture that whole thing in your head, saving him from Leatherface. And he's so happy that he kisses you, and then you go from there. Is that you what's happening? That you, Are you just like and he bends you over the fence that your whole family was cannibalized <laughs> on, and he does you on it while the wind's blowing. <laughs> don't don't turn this into some like low rent Helix Studios remake of you, you know made this Joe Spank Bank. You opened this door, Joe. You <laughs> sure did. Um, but back to wrong turn, or you know, before that, it uh, another was wrong turn. In <laughs> Exactly. Um, it was the first one was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Um, it was there were moments that were very difficult. I I really wish that we we got, had the chance to watch this together, Joshua, because yeah. I feel like we I feel like this is one of those like this is a classic. Like we need to be in, in the same room watching it together. But I reacted very viscerally to everything with the barbed wire. Like that was just so that was a lot. Um, and then the second one was like pitch perfect. Like I, I turn the lights off. I attach my Bluetooth headphones. So I'm like really immersed in it. Wow. And I mean, I guess maybe I did give it the better treatment than the first one, but uh, mm. it was just, it was, I, I liked it a lot better than the first. And I'm curious to see, you know, where this conversation is going to go. Um, yeah. So well, it, right. it just also is a testament to like how different and and the like the spirit of a reboot, but then like how drastically one eighty different you can take it to also reflect the current time. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. yeah, yep. There you go. So Adams, you brought this uh, to when Joe. I guess you and Joe were having some <laughs> kind of conversation to discuss, like yes. you know, like what horror film. So like, why why for you? Why Wrong Turn? Like, what is it about so, Wrong Turn? <laughs> in terms of, do you want me to get right into the meat of why this this whole the true? Yeah, you're the you're the guest lecturer to this week. You you oh, got God. <laughs> you you tell us your your viewpoint. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I because no, I actually really appreciate that you both do a lot of work on trying to like let's look at this in the broader context. I was reading through the article that Joe sent me, and that helped me relook at the original in a way that I would have never thought to. Partly because I think the original, like Joe just said, it's exactly what you'd expect out of it. And I think because of that, I turned off my own, you know, I just stayed in my beginner's mind of, oh, this is just a literal watch these stupid horny teens get killed. But that you can actually apply some kind of a lens of, oh, is there more to this, etc. That I was reading the article. And I'll admit, 
after about it had me until it mentioned cannibalism as an analogy for gender um, and other ideas within the rest of it. And the, and we'll probably talk about this later, but I almost disagreed with near everything. The article mentioned after that point, <laughs> it used the examples I used for my argument were the examples it used for its own, which I thought was very interesting, yeah. but the new with the reboot and it, to Joe's point, again, I really do love and appreciate how, despite my feelings on it, it's cool to see someone go back to something 10 years later and update it in the very current political to- context that we're in. So for me, what spurred the whole conversation was, as I was watching it, I was noticing that the writer very clearly was trying to make a statement with the cast of who the central core group of teens in the woods were and how they were represented. There wasn't, to me as a queer individual who's white, I didn't feel like from my, from my understanding of other people's experiences, a tokenizing of different identities, it felt like just a normal group of people living their lives, not in any form of performative, I'm making a statement with this, but like, let's just watch these queer people, folks of color, several women that have these, you know, big STEM field jobs, just living their life. Like it's a normal thing, which I think was a great setup for the whole, we're going into the woods contrast between modern urbanized current America versus um, this old rural classic way of thinking. And what I was thinking about through the whole thing was really just kind of Trump Republicanism versus progressive politics. I felt, and I don't know if this was actually, you know, in thinking about the movies, I don't know if my perspective on the movie was more me finding a way to process my frustration with our current political climate versus was this the intent of the filmmakers Mm. that they wanted me to make that connection between the current political zeitgeist. Cause I saw this new reboot as less of an analogy between different classes or rural versus city, but more so between political ideals. But again, that's also what was going through my mind because I think this was not that long before the election that this originally came out or shortly after. It was election adjacent in some way, I think. But people are probably going to listen to this, do the ch- do the fact check, and find out that I'm wrong. It um, came out. It was officially released January 26, 2021. Uh, okay. So, yeah, just kind of around. So, so it, it is around. Steeped in those politics, yeah. though. They're writing yes. while, this is, while this is all going on. Yeah, and it was right after the insurrection that happened, only about three weeks, roughly. So yeah. Yeah. the specific moment that really bothered me, though, and it kind of ties into what was, what was a frustration of the film, while I appreciate a lot of things about it and would agree with Joe that it's ultimately the far better movie, but then it depends on what you look for. In the 2021 your, version, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. But what, what bothered me was just <laughs> that, one, my character that I, I always have a character I tie myself to and like to think that would be me in the movie and I'm going to make it to the end, was Luis. And oh, it drove uh-huh. me nuts. Drove me nuts that he got the eye poke out thing and his eyes burnt and whatever, and then just shoved in this dark room. And then right after that, the girl's like, you know, it would be a good idea offering us up as, as nice labor for these people after your bestie just got his eyes gouged out. And can I please, sorry, I'm probably yelling. So people turn it down. But the the other thing that bothered me was, can this movie not be boiled down to a well-intended white woman who got all of her friends of colors and queers killed? Yeah. So <laughs> one of the things that I did write, because I, I was like, wait, we're killing the, the queer Indian man first in 2021? We're doing that? Yes. That's what we're going to do? 
Okay, mm-hmm. that's interesting. That and then, like, after yeah. that, it was sort of like, yeah. Um, well, I guess they do kill that annoying white guy who, I mean, in the first, I was just like, dude, like, have you never seen the Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. Massacre? Have you never seen these movies? You don't go into these places and insult people. You just keep your fucking mouth shut, dude. Like, grow up, fucking Americans, white, hetero, cishet Americans. So I was happy yeah. to see him die. But, um, <laughs> Just yes. I'm like, oh my God, stop, you know? Um, although I think yeah. it was a good, like, again, it's the, like the wrong turn 2021 is kind of asking like, who is the savage? Who is, yes. the ba- you know, it's like in those conversations about political left elitism and like mm-hmm. rural American realities of like living, you know, what, what it actually means to, to not, you know, I just idealize their lives. Yeah. Uh, you know, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I was just kind of at the end. I'm like, okay, so yeah, the oh, all right, the white girl. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it bothered me and to your point. You know, I think, you know, without who's the savage, that was a very key, obvious theme that they were pitching and throwing through the movie. And I yeah. would say from the beginning through the middle, they took the plane, the plane had a nice takeoff and it was on a good flight cruising. But by the end, when it had to land the plane, it was a very rough landing at best. Because to me, the the big loophole or the big thing they built in that kind of undercuts their own argument is why did it, you know, for all their suspicions and pre-prejudice and assuming this about the other group, the, the teens I felt were very entitled and reasonable for making the assumptions they did when their friend's head just got smashed in a tree by an obvious trap. They've encountered several others. Anyone with half a decent brain would have probably done the same thing when they went up and at least, I don't know if they would have brutally, you know, beat a deer person's head in (laughs) where you see the brains everywhere, but just at least wanted to self-defend and protect themselves. So, and I think they, they have several good points on who's the savage and it's a lot of it is about optics and values and where you stand on that spectrum. But that's where I think they undercut their a lot of their argument by, well, then you gave the teens very, very many reasons to be justified in their perspective. So I think in that sense, they didn't fully land the plane. I think, yeah, it's asking for a lot of work on behalf of the watcher, you know, to be like, well, mm-hmm. they've been living in this like community since the 1800s and or whatever. And, you know, maybe they're yes. just ignorant of like, you know, the fact that like this is a horror trope that they're living out, that these kids yep. are living out, you know. But then at the end, the guy like gets an RV and drives into town with his buddies to you know, <laughs> kidnap the group. So that kind of undermined yes. that for me where I'm like, OK, well, no, they know how to engage with the real world, you know, and adapt and, you know, cause they're kind of presenting it. I thought, I thought there was like an Amish narrative happening because of like Mm -hmm. the accent that they have, where it was obvious that it was like supposed to be this old language that maybe they used to speak. That's now. So you get that with like the Amish. Yeah. Um, What is it? The Dutch, um, Pennsylvania, Dutch, the Pennsylvania Dutch. So it's like, I felt like there were allusions to that, you know, allusions to Appalachia and like, you know, the community there and just, you know, sort of these ideas of like, um, you know, choosing to be part of nature and, you know, but then mm-hmm. again, at the end, they did, they, they can successfully engage with the culture outside of their own. So that kind of undermined that for me. Cause that's sort of what I would say, to, you know, cause I agreed. I was like, yeah, this does look really bad. If you know, you're a bunch of like city kids, you know, with your yeah. iPhones and shit and your friends on a stake with a couple of skull people <laughs> you know I yeah. mean, it's like yeah have you never have you never seen the Blair Witch Project like where that's yes. where, this is the knowledge we're working from and again I think I think that yeah extrapolating a little bit from the film that that is the conversation mm-hmm. about like in a way how has horror 
made us like worse people. Like we expect the worst, you know, when we yeah. go into places and we are, you know, like, and I, I mean, I make that joke too. It's like, I don't really like to travel. It's some, and, and sometimes it's real, like as a queer person, especially if you're yeah. kind of femme presenting. Yeah. If I leave the safety of San Diego, yep. there are places that I'm in danger that I'm not going to wear makeup that I would normally wear that I'm not going to mm-hmm. wear a t-shirt that I would normally wear or a, or a certain type of, you know, they're just, there are choices that I make based on that. But usually my actual mm-hmm. lived experience has been perfectly fine in those places, but the fear is still like there just because of the movies I've watched and the experience of like being queer, yep. you know? So I don't know. There's part of me for that where, yeah, it was kind of like when we talk about horror and like how it reflects society, well, how much of it has made us like more wary of places yep. or although early on in my notes, I wrote down Nate's going to help. Because I just kind of saw that coming. He was like the the mean like redneck dude who was mm-hmm. like at their table in the early part. That's oh, the, the that's the, the yellow Desart. guy, the, the jaundice guy. Yeah, that was Tim Desart's <laughs> character, and you know he he was like trying to save them. For, he was being an asshole to save them from themselves because he's yeah, like he's trying you know, to scare them. You're gonna go off and do something stupid. And you're all gonna get murdered. But he can't just say that because of whatever you know the logic of the film. Um, yeah. But I wrote down after that, I'm like, this dude's gonna come back and he's gonna be like the good guy. I bet you know just because you. <laughs> have seen enough of and that and that's what i think solidifies my like interpretation of this film of like horror has Mm -hmm. kind of fucked us up horror has made us you know the 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 politics of the last couple of years have made us think that the other is way worse than they really are because of the team mentality because of the elite versus you know rural or that's not really the the right analogy or the right uh, comparison but like just the idea is like i'm educated and so anybody who's not as educated as i am they're just dumb hicks who don't know how to you know get themselves out of like the the world that they live in blah 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 um yeah they're nazis (laughs) so yeah i don't know i I just think there was that was sort of part of the conversation happening sorry joe well it's interesting to hear this because like okay so like i i you know in talking about wrong turn 2021 it's like it I, i think it's very much the idea of that you know in this country both things two things can be true at the same time because when they're like the whole thing with the trial like i was on edge i was the edge of my seat watching the entire trial uh, the trial (laughs) very game of thrones (laughs) it was very game of thrones but because the the interesting thing too is that like it 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 really is about you're when you're talking about power and you're talking about context right so like yes we watch this we're watching everything from the perspective of the teens you know of the young professionals the yuppies in in the situation where it's like one of them is being carried off by men who wear these things and it's like well what do you think you like what do you wear when you go hunting we wear this stuff to mask our face and our smell we're not hunting you we're hunting we're hunting deer here's this thing like the it's purpose it's perfectly logical that like yes all of these things are um all of these things are correct in the logic of like that is their mountain right so it's like Mm -hmm. whose land are you on who makes the laws where it's yeah. like, no, we, we, we needed to defend ourselves because we felt like we were being hunted. I'm like, okay, well that's also you projecting that onto the situation when in actuality we were trying to do him a favor and get him to go down the mountain. Cause we don't want him up here either. And, mm-hmm. and like the fact that I, again, I know it's just because it's a film, but the fact that she lied, I mean, like, here's the thing when well, the guy, girl. when the guy straight up says, don't fucking lie. I'm like, that means you just don't 
fucking lie because yeah you know like when ruthie came out and was all like this one the oh, asshole ruthie. and i was like you knew you knew that was gonna happen and same with and same feeling adam i felt like i was tied to Luis as well and yeah. so but you know it took <laughs> it's it was like maybe i won't say anything and Luis will be fine <laughs> and i'm like no darkness is like like wandering with no tongue no eyes no ears yeah. Like, no way. Yeah, and then the whole, and what really burned me, and I think what was the true impetus for this conversation that led to this, was when they're escaping, and then she heads out to go through that maze, and she looks, and there he is just staring at her as if he knew she was there. And she just, boom, shoots him right in the head and doesn't bother to be like, hey, haven't seen you in a while, but maybe you want to come with us. Given naturally, what does that mean in a horror movie? He's going to be the dead weight that he then gets attacked on the way down, almost makes it, and he's what allows them to escape. But still, that to me would have been a better outcome. But that also leads me to where I really appreciated this movie. And I think they made a huge statement when there was the scene when she goes to the boyfriend saying, we have our moment, it's time to escape. And he says, no, I'm staying. And that to me spoke huge volumes in the positive end of the message of talking about how, I think taking into a bigger context of how people have to feel they have to assimilate or form a certain way to a society. And in this case, it being a black male who was brought into that situation very similar to slavery where he's like, now that I'm in this government and this setup, it's either safer for me to stay or more unsafe for me to try and go. So I thought that was actually a really powerful analogy of showing this is why, you know, white supremacy is particularly powerful when it starts to take up the mind of the people that it's targeted at. Yeah. I don't think it was, I, I I'm going to push back a little bit, Adam, because I it. think that he, he, cause he very clearly stated when they were in the hotel in the, in the, in the first part of the film where he was like, he's like waxing poetic about like this, like super mm-hmm. socialist egalitarian, like kibbutz almost type of existence where everyone does their part and all of these things and then like to have them them all come out when venable is just like you know everyone does what they're expected of blah 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 and everyone works everyone contributes and it was almost exactly word for word what he said and then also and then what i thought was another gag is like when you're walking through the town and you can see the faces of the people and you see Uh black faces in addition to white faces so it's like the foundation quote unquote is not entirely white it was like black people also oh. that i think one of the first faces when they open the gate is a black yeah. man opening it yeah. yeah the the father or like one of the elders quote unquote is also a black man as well and so in this instance mm-hmm. i felt he stayed because he felt the most seen and the most safe by it yeah, which, which is he said. he said these people see me you know, exactly most they see his value they, yeah. yeah and and for me that was interesting because he didn't go to the woods he well i mean in the context of the film he was not trying to like find himself in the same way that jen was trying to find herself yes because yep. she was like directionless she's like what did she say to nate in the beginning it's like you know i have a master's in dance and art history which means i pour coffee for a living right. so she, <laughs> she knows yeah and, and the thing is too it's like i've been that person where it's like i'm i'm acutely aware of everyone's like 
professional accomplishments at the table because I am the one who feels like, you know, I don't have that to contribute or I don't like have that, that kind of syndrome. Exactly. That imposter syndrome. And so with this, it's like, she's like, well, I guess the only thing that I'm really good for is to, you know, bear your children. Cause I, yeah. you know, have no, I have no other worth other than to be an empty womb for someone mm-hmm. to spill their seed into. Um, and so, so in that in that regard, it was just so fascinating to see him be like, no, I want to stay because I feel like I'm actually like this is a life that I was meant to lead. And it's it's weird because it's like, uh-huh. is that how he feels or is that just the Stockholm syndrome of it all? Yeah. Because I really he, wanted him to be like at the very end, I wanted him to be the one to like axe someone in the back. Like I wanted him yeah. to be the saving blow that helps them get away and to have that moment where they're driving off in the trucks and he's there, like, you know, standing, looking at her, like saying, you know, like this is go and do your life. I'm here now living my life. Like I wanted that, that moment. I, you know, I completely looked past that hotel scene and that makes a ton more sense now because I really did internalize it. Like, is this kind of like a coping safety mechanism of this other community and structure and way of being is so oppressive. The only way I can be safe from it is to participate in it. Mm -hmm. And see, that's what I took. But then again, I'm also not a person of color who ever has to worry about the way my skin is interpreted by someone Mm -hmm. else. But that was it. But when you make that connection between that first scene and then what he said when they depart from him, that does also make it very. All right. Consider my mind changed. And you could say (laughs) you could say everything that you said about like the the culture being oppressive, but apply Mm -hmm. that to the culture like of modern American culture of being oppressive and being like, he is like, it's brought up more than it's brought up more than several times that they're in the South and that he is like this history buff. That's, you know, acutely aware of the Confederacy and all of that. And and the real world racism, the the real real world world racism. So to him, this this could have been that, that could have been almost like, that's finally the safe haven he'd been looking for possibly. Exactly. He can finally, Exactly. He can finally exist in a community and contribute without being looked at as like another black fellow, right? Another, like a, just a black man um, with, with like, mm. and, and all of that that comes with it. Instead, yeah. he's like, oh no, he actually, he's in this community where they... That doesn't um, seem to matter. It doesn't seem to matter. Mm-hmm. They they truly don't see color. They see contribution. Right. Um Mm. So but, in some w- in ways, it was what he'd been looking for the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 like it which, subverts that expectation. It's another yeah. part of this film that subverts that, like hillbilly, yeah. racist, Nazi, cannibals. This is not yeah. what this film is about, mm-hmm. you know. And and so I have a I have a question for the both of you. So mm-hmm. you know, Adam, you're from Minnesota. Joshua, you are from Ohio with roots in Appalachia, right? So like, how does mm-hmm. watching both of these films films like inform inform because like you know i i I grew up on i grew up on guam i don't know if you knew this listener everybody (laughs) listening i don't know if you knew this but like we are you from guam it's like but like i i have like a different version of when i think about people who 
are the quote unquote inbred uneducated. And, mm. and I, you know, that's like, or at least growing up when you, when people would hear those things and say those things, and it was heavily rooted in, it was, it, you know, heavily rooted in class classism. It's heavily rooted in xenophobia. Um, because for us, like growing up, it was those like nasty comments were always directed towards folks from the outer, outer Micronesian islands that would come in mm. and, you know, and so, and so I'm curious as like, as like men who grew up in America, like in America, like, you know, and, and having, um, and being in those spaces where you like, no one's writing about the backwoods of Guam. They're writing about the backwoods of like middle America where you're both from <laughs> yeah. or like, you know, Southern, you know, everything. In this <laughs> Minnesota's quite think... a jump away from that. Yeah. I, yeah, say, I don't I think mean... either of us are from <laughs> from that area but, but my but, ancestry but, is my my like grandmother came from there her people back but in like, like appalachian cherokee like, I, i'm it, you know. i'm trying to put it mm. be delicate around it but i'm just gonna say it i'm like you probably know people who are like these or grew up or at least tangentially yeah. mm-hmm. know these people oh, who yeah. you could quote yeah. unquote 100 uh, hunt like these backwoods inbred folks as oh, you, yeah as uh whatever his name is the the asshole cis white guy was saying mm-hmm. so in my in I, i'm curious to know like your feelings in terms of like the this film and how both films let's just say because like it really comes it really comes out in the first film without them ever saying redneck you know hillbilly whatever yeah and the second film just calls it out right away and then it ends up not being that it's like yeah, no it's they have bad. like their own they have like their own system of like society and laws and and stuff so i'm curious anybody want to talk about that i can i'll start i it's like it, it, it you know that's a really good question because absolutely like yeah i'm from the upper midwest so not necessarily close to the appalachia region at all but yeah i do know that community and style of people and that mentality you know, for example, my dad, you know, my hometown I'm from is a very small town, 20,000 people near Rochester, Minnesota and south of the Twin Cities. But my dad, he worked at a very large metropolitan construction company and his nickname on the construction site was Big City. But he would go to some of the smaller projects in smaller cities because he was associated, even though he's from a rural area, when they knew he was tied to that certain construction company on the site, they called him Big City. And that was his nickname because that he was seen as not being in touch, not being with them, being different, that mm. typical, oh, you're that new person with all the edgy stuff, whatever, even though he was much of a country crock white dude from small town Minnesota as they were when he would work on some of these smaller jobs. So I remember him talking about that. I remember the last couple of times I've been home to Minnesota, my own feeling like the the teens in the movie of going back home and feeling like you're some kind of fish out of water. Like, what am I looking at? Because after the, ele- about, gosh, when did I finally go home and meet my nephew? Um, after the pandemic, when I was vaccinated this last spring, I flew home and there were still signs up all over my hometown praising Trump and praising these different things and talking about these values. And it made me think of different scenes in Wrong Turn where they're driving around looking and having that like, whoa, what's this weird rural area? I had my own moment of that. So that's where, again, I connect with that whole piece of I'm that person, which brings up that argument of who's the savage and the big difference is just our own understanding of each other, not so much. Well, I mean, some of it is the actual belief system, but there's just, you know, the point being that we focus on the surface of the iceberg. We don't look at the whole picture, which again, to me is a, 
as both a point of praise for the movie that it has us talking this deeply about it and this much. And I think that's another huge thing in its corner of what an overwhelming success and way to elevate the original material. But to me, it, it comes back to that point of, I think of a lot of times when I think about when I feel like I have to code myself, act less feminine, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like I have to start looking over my shoulder again when I go home, it's still for a reason. And that was my main argument for the movie with Wrong Turn 2021 was that, yes, I get the argument they're making. They overall do it pretty well, particularly compared to horror movies that have a big dream of trying to say something. It overall does a good job. But that was my main thing is, okay, I get this, but they were right. (laughs) You had a dungeon under your village with people with their eyes poked out eating each other. Like there was a reason that they were supposed to do that. Unless, but then again, you kind of wonder, kind of similar to the movie um, Parasite, where there's this nice, beautiful, modern house, and underneath it are these people that are making it work and running it. Was it a similar kind of analogy the filmmaker was trying to do of the foundation? Yes, it has its laws, all this stuff, but it was still built off these gross, icky things like the modern world was. So that, you know, that's kind of where that takes me. So that's, I'm kind of weaving around, but that's generally the thoughts that went through my head when you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I think this is like emotionally fraught with a lot of, when you're asking queer mm-hmm. people to describe like living in the Midwest or living on the East coast or, yes, or in a Southernly kind of place because of the experience, um, you know, and again, yeah, I think the movie addresses it in different ways, you know, with the queer couple, how the one pulls his hand away from the other, but there's nothing, Yep. nothing actually happens. Nobody's like giving them a dirty look or saying anything because people that feel that way will fucking tell you like, uh, you're not staying here. Yeah you fags can go on, find someplace mm-hmm. else to stay. Like, you know, I mean, people really will still be very like, um, you know, if they really hold those beliefs and don't want you staying, like they will fucking tell you. So <laughs> I mm-hmm. have different, like, it's kind of, you know, so like I am going to Ohio in a couple of weeks to visit with my brother and meet a new nephew as well. Oddly enough. Oh, um, congrats. Um, yeah, I didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the benefit to either. us. I'm the we worst. We didn't have to do any of the work, but we reap the benefits. Yeah, see, I'm the worst because I like my brother's. Like, oh, you know, um, Becca, that's his <laughs> wife, is pregnant again. I'm like, no. <laughs> like, you're supposed to travel. You're supposed to come here and visit. We're supposed to go on vacations together. You can't afford anything ever again. I'm like such a doomsday. Like anytime a friend tells me they're pregnant or gonna have kids, now I'm there's like, no! more presents. I have to buy them for their birthdays. What about me? <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know. I'm so selfish that I'm just like, oh my gosh, a kid is so much money and it means so much less for me in my life. And that's, I'm mm-hmm. sure other people like that is, t- you know, I'm sure other people are like, no, they expand my joy and my love and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's wonderful for you. And I mean, I do, I appreciate it. It's not like I go to his house and I'm like, ah, you know, but I'm just like, <laughs> personally, I'm just like, you. no, no more children. Save your money, tour the world. Um, exactly. <laughs> But anyways, but his family, like, and that's kind of some of the people I'm going to be visiting with. Like, I mean, they're, I mean, they're, they're rednecks, like to a degree and they're scary. And growing up, it was scary to be around some of them. And, um, you know, they've got an uncle that's got like a hundred percent honky tattooed on him and swastikas and shit. I mean, they're like, some of their family are really terrifying. (laughs) And I mean, I've made, and I, especially because I live almost 3000 miles away, being on the internet, it could be very easy Mm -hmm. to be like, you're a fucking racist. Fuck you and die, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But now I have to go to like a picnic with some of these people. 
Um, at my brother's wedding, it was kind of like that. Some of them, not him, that guy, actually the really bad one, he's kind of on the outside of the family. So he wasn't like there, but some of them I have a low opinion of, it was kind of like, hello, you (laughs) don't, uh, I'm not going to be alone with you at any second. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) this is going to be awkward for both of us. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so so for it's just it's kind of interesting because um, and to, to to go back to the first film and talk about like wrong turn because I mean that obviously I mean after I had already seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and like the Hills Have Eyes and yep. you know, the, those sorts of films that came out of the seventies that were you know this response to like the Vietnam War and like this you know falling apart of American values and you know this mm-hmm. apocalyptic vision of like you know the future of America where we're you know um, we're so destitute we have to eat each other and. You know, so it's like I already kind of had this sort of very informed and like to kind of top it off. My grandmother was from Appalachia and she was not nice and was a drunk. So I, and was rather abusive. And so I kind of like just had like this like, no, you're right. This is these people are all terrible. Um, of course, growing out and like, yeah. now, you know, growing up, of course, there's like queer Appalachia and um, which I think mm-hmm. is in a better place than it was a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. But, you know, there, there's there's vibrant, you know, like when especially when left. Well, I don't want to say leftists, liberals, neoliberals are like, fuck the South, let them all die. Like they totally disregard the amount of people of color that live there, poor people yeah. that have no choice, that are, are disenfranchised from voting, that are but still have vibrant culture, have vibrant and interesting lives and, and are, mm-hmm. are curious and do want to make the world better, but they lack power. You know, they lack a certain access to power uh, to mm-hmm. some degree, you know, um, after like, what was it after like the civil war? Like we talk about, you know, all the black people who got like, jo- like who got elected, you know, to government. And then like the KKK was created to stop all that, you know I mean? So it's like, there's a whole, there are whole systems of power at play that like liberals kind of engage in when we dismiss you know, the South or we dismiss mm-hmm. the people that live in the South as all being ignorant yeah. and being like, they deserve it. This is their fault because yeah. they voted this way or that way. So, so I think that, yeah, it's kind of, it's really hard. And to go back kind of to the article, one of the things mm-hmm. that I did kind of like about this conversation is, um, so in the, uh, on one of these pages, oh, they're not numbered, uh, for the figure of the redneck or hillbilly is in fact an inversion of where we came from at a cellular level. Wrong turns opening credits, which show the mountain men's DNA mutating, uh, foreshadows uh, that there's been this genetic mutation, the pioneer uh, ideal, positive traits like the pioneer spirit, strong family networks governed by yeah. benevolent patriarchs, clearly defined gender roles and closeness, closeness to nature, become social and economic backwardness, inbreeding, cannibalism, savagery. Uh, that was kind of an interesting sort of take. Again, I don't agree because I don't agree with like a benevolent patriarchy. I don't agree with, you know, strong structured like gender roles. Mm-hmm. Um, I did sort of like the reading with wrong turn about that, where it's like, you know, Oh, the, the men are kind of feminized in the beginning and the women are sort of masculinized. And until that like flips in like the end of it, all of a sudden everything starts going right for them. When the man asserts himself as like the, the leader by shooting the truck and blah, 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 blah. I, I thought that was an interesting sort of like, Oh, I guess I would have never given it that much like complex thought, <laughs> uh, which again is why we do fright school uh, and reading articles. <laughs> That's where we're like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, that is kind of an interesting take. So anyways, the, the, the reason I bring that up is yeah. because when I think of like my brothers and like their family, if there was an apocalypse, they're probably all going to do well and survive. They go hiking, they're mountain type people, they know how to fix cars, they know how to like build. My brother builds like f- does flooring and knows all these people that builds housing and, you know, there's so much more 
aware and and this goes for, like with my grandmother like you know she just had this knowledge mm-hmm. that i was like privileged enough you know even as un, unprivileged as we were in deep poverty but like privileged enough not to have to deal with like the realities of like murdering chickens and like <laughs> you know doing the, yeah. doing things that were part were yeah. very much part of her childhood you know that there's this knowledge that exists amongst like you know and again i think with with uh, 2021 as well like you know we're mm-hmm. self-sustainable and you're like i couldn't live in that community no fucking way and I couldn't live in the backwoods of some place and I have no interest in it, you know? So there is this mm-hmm. sort of like, sometimes when I think about people who live, you know, these kinds of like hard scrabble type existences who farm, who, you know, work in agriculture, who do these things, it's like they have talent and knowledge that I have zero access to. I'm totally mm-hmm. worthless. Like I could sit and play the guitar while you work. I don't know if that's, <laughs> that's not helpful. Um, I could, you know, if all I the power goes out. Read you to <laughs> right. Exactly. I can read you to fill. We can read. Um, I can, we can make you a great grinder profile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can we'll retell really make her about me sing. <laughs> but yeah, it's just kind of like, I don't know. So I just, again, I have a lot of mixed feelings because I have a lot of respect for like mm-hmm. the hard work, like, like, especially, and that's something I've kind of learned from my brother who has called out my own intellectual elitism. Um, very, um, we're all kind of, um, uh, my mother taught us all well to be, uh, rather blatant, (laughs) um, you know, brutally honest, you know, so he has definitely called me out before of like, you know, you just think you're so much fucking smarter than me. I'm like, well, yeah, you're right. Cause I am. And then I have to think about it. Well, not really like (laughs) Mm -hmm. not all the time. So I don't know. Again, Joe, to answer your question, I don't know. It's very, very complex. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things, but do I want to be on like some lonely, desolate Virginia road alone? No, but not necessarily because like some mountain man is going to beat me up and, you know, deliverance me or cannibalize me, <laughs> you know, I, it's more, I just don't want to be out in the woods at all for any reason trying to survive. <laughs> what this comes down to is that these people were like, these people thought that like going to the woods was an actual like thing that people want to do on a vacation. Like that's what it comes down to. And I think that I'm gay enough to know that like, no, unless you're going, to like a curated glamping type experience yeah you know what i mean like there's there's nothing you know like like oh we're going to we're gonna go hike and find like a civil war preserved you know and then and like hello did anybody watch american werewolf in london because she straight up said Mm -hmm. stay on the path and that's the right. first thing they fucking I was like, no, this is why this is why you this is why you need to attend fright school. It's like stay when the scary local woman says stay on the path, you stay on the fucking path. And the other yes. guy too. Nate yeah. warns them too. Like just, you know, hey, if you're gonna go have a good time, fine. I can't I scare you away. Warnings. Stay on the damn path, you know. Yeah. So is it their fault? <laughs> is we it their better, own fault? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's interesting to see and I wanna know more about like you know, especially when you mentioned the gender roles in, in the original wrong turn and the article, but I see in the broad strokes where it talks about the differences, like, you know, Joshua, you were just talking about how there's this, these different communities were far away from them or different people in our families, but because we do know them and we have taken that time, we do understand and appreciate, we all have something to value, to contribute that we bring to the table. It's whether or not we want to be open to seeing it because we're reducing and distilling someone down to one or two values of theirs. Right. So I think, you know, in that sense and in the large stroke of new, younger, modern America versus this old rural countryside hick mentality, there definitely are things that the original wrong turn 
perpetuated and contributed to. But it was funny because I, I don't know if this is just growing up a different part of the country. I thought the men in that movie generally were trying to be brave and strong and doing what I thought a man should do. But the more I think about it, I can see a level of argument on, you know, the, the three, um, in Brad Hillbillies and the original wrong turn were kind of like masculinity in its purest, dumbest, raw sense. Right. But then I asked myself, you know, this is also a time when horror movies weren't always necessarily encouraged or allowed or supported in going with a really cerebral message like that. Is that really what the filmmaker's intent was, was to show that? Or is someone trying to find something they were trying to look for in that film? Cause I well, can see level. Oh, yeah. so go ahead. No, as I say, that is the whole, like, I mean, that is the whole effort of, like, Fright School and of any, like, horror. It's anthropology. Mm -hmm. You know, we're looking at something that was 18, is now 18 years old or something, 17, 18 years old, you know, Mm -hmm. and and deriving meaning from what was kind of going around. Because I bet most people would say, no, we're just trying to make a stupid horror film and, you know. uh, Yeah murder Eliza Dushku because she annoyed us on some show you know I don't know <laughs> you, you know but it's like you know are people engaging with horror on that sort of level yeah so, no I, yeah absolutely I'm not sure if they sat down like okay these guys are representing like this toxic masculinity and we're gonna give that yeah. one a flower necklace so that everybody knows he's kind of feminized and his girlfriend's gonna scare him instead of him scare her because the guys do that or you know women don't do that in horror film like I don't know how much yeah. of like that conversation or like it, oh, yeah yeah or like with like, um, 9-11 and you know all of these sorts of things like what horror was trying to do and now looking on it years later so mm-hmm. and like with Kevin Zeger's character and his girlfriend where she like like oh someone usually shows up when we have sex you know let's mm. test the law of averages and then she's the one that's performing like she's the sexual aggressor taking yeah. his clothes off performing fellatio and mm-hmm. in the same situation later it's like you know oh you're gonna give me a bunch of orgasms as opposed to like you know me, as opposed to in like the more toxically masculine trope of like mm. you give me the man more orgasms that sort of thing yeah. and so yeah. but like I was there I'm right there with you versions of gender yeah there's subversions yeah. of gender yeah. but of a regular yeah. slasher Exactly. But mm-hmm. not necessarily like I thought that the arguments that were made in the article were really were really interesting. But like Adam, I was just like, I don't see that really in Yeah. I, it was not something that was so blatant. And especially like to have like your protagonist be this like very rugged looking doctor. <laughs> like, you know, this rugged looking <laughs> yeah. like I'm a doctor, I'm a med student. And I'm like, okay, like that's that to me doesn't really read anything, you know, it, it would have been, I, I didn't really get that. Um, yeah. I think what it came down to, and, and the other reason why I feel like a wrong turn 2021 was more effective than 2003 is because mm. there was a lot more time spent developing these characters. Like I have remember I had to yes. rewind a little bit and figure like, why are they on this trip in the first place? What right. is, what is the, what is the trauma that Eliza Dushku is dealing with that they had to take to the woods <laughs> to go find themselves? Um, it, and it was just so fascinating. Plus, plus, you know, to your point to Adam about like the idea that like the, the cannibals in, in, uh, in Oh three, they're, like the like masculinity in its dumbest, like most lizard brain kind of just, just like hungry and killing for no reason, hysterical. Mm -hmm. It's, it's fascinating because like, are they trying, is that also, again, this commentary on this classist commentary on folks that live in that area? 
Um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's a it's definitely referencing and in that tradition of deliverance of Texas Chainsaw Massacre without like, like there's no, they don't give them any interiority and they don't give them any motivation. Also, I I read some of the synopses of, of the subsequent wrong turn films where they actually go into kind of the family that is doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, But like in this film, it's it's just like, (laughs) it's like seven films or something. Yeah. Yeah, it really goes off the rails and just (laughs) any semblance of, I think, intentionality with giving some form, letting the movie be a mirror to society in any way, I think went down the down the crapper with that one. When they went with all the sequels, it just became more about being campier, gorier, sillier, more obnoxious. And it lost any pathway that it had built for itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that I like about, so the article, one of the reasons I really like this article and kind of, and this is something I would definitely, if I was teaching this as a real class, like keep as like a really good example, because the person that wrote it, uh, which again, my printout doesn't have like any information. I should have went back and looked for the date and like the author, but I'll make sure that's all in the comments. But basically they're taking uh, what Clover wrote about in men, women, and chainsaws about like the hillbilly horror genre, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and applying mm-hmm. it to wrong turn. So they're not just simply regurgitating the ideas that mm. like Clover had, they're trying to take and, and they're trying to take wrong turn and analyze it from the Clover analysis. So this is like an extension of the gender and class conversations that, um, uh, Clover has in Men, Women, and Chainsaws. And so I, I I was just like, this is exactly, like this paper represents exactly what Fright School is all about. Whether or not it's, you know, a good analysis or not, we can certainly obviously disagree. And there are things in here where I'm like, ah, I don't know. But like, so I'm just like, this is, I would give this to like my class and be like, okay, read this. And we've already read Men, Women, and Chainsaws, obviously, because that would be a, a foundational text <laughs> for my class. Now find a film to apply, like pick a, pick an analysis from the book mm-hmm. and apply it to any horror film you want and write a new. And this was like a perfect example of like how to take that book and write like a really cool, you know, reading of a film that might be completely ridiculous. But hey, you know, um, it, it allowed us to talk for almost an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> it, but again, but it just it really speaks to, again, that really huge plus of the new movie of it just really. Right. You know, especially after horror movies like Get Out and Us, it almost seems tame in its want of talking about something bigger than itself and something for us to deal with. Because I feel maybe that's me as a white man talking about two horror movies that were generally about white supremacy and racism and how people are impacted by it. But, you know, to me, Wrong Turn comparatively feels a little tamer of a movie. But again, some other movies have preceded it that really just pushed out their political allegories and real conversations about why aren't we talking about what's happening around us? Um, So -hmm. to me, the fact that we're talking so much and we're going deep, deep into a movie like this just speaks to the the creative writing and the thought and and intentionality within it. I know, at least for me, when I'm really talking about something, I often spend more time on a negative zone more than a positive zone of a film. And while I'm not necessarily going to watch Wrong Turn 2021 again, because I just can't relive what happened to my Luis, but <laughs> I just, I, he's, he's, he was my one. Um, but I can always appreciate, I will remember it vividly because I love how it very clearly was like, we need to talk about something. And it, it showed us a pretty visceral ways how these things play out and how it impacts people. And it gave just a lot of meat to talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love that. 
I just had a thought about the two the two gay guys in 2021. Mm-hmm. The 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 guy who dies who the first kill he Gary yeah Gary yes he is upset long live Gary yes he, he's upset <laughs> with Luis that he like why did you stop like holding my hand and to me yeah. which is just such like it, it, it's like such an asinine question because it's like. Like, are you not situationally aware enough to know that we are two brown queers in the middle of in the middle of an area where like it's not we where there are stories and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that it's not safe for us here, not just on a queer level, but as like also being brown. Like, right. Mm-hmm. And then the other, th- and the interesting thing that happens, right, is that, like, okay, you know, in the morality of horror, like the person who said, like, hey, I don't want to wake up early. I need my eight hours of sleep and I'm not really a hiker. He, that's the first person to die, is also the person who's most confident in his queerness, you know, given that one yeah. comment, most confident in his queerness and expressed his boundaries that he is not going to be for the woods. So he's the first person to die because, you know, the, the woods were already going to kill him to begin with. Cautionary tale. Um, I'll just I'll re- I'll remind anybody. Please me. <laughs> yeah, I'll remind anybody moving forward that like you know if you want me to go with you hiking or whatever a situation like you're gonna watch this much of Wrong Turn 2021 and yeah. that is me and that's what's gonna happen. And then with Luis, like Luis is the one who is um he's not i mean in that moment of where he like doesn't hold his hand or takes his hand away it expresses Mm -hmm. this like level of cowardice right which kind of translates and culminates where he tries to run away and Mm -hmm. is the first person to get his eyes burned out and gouged out and so because of his like not sticking to who he is he still gets you know he gets killed or he gets you know maimed and he he has the worst fate of the two in my opinion but like it's not but it's this interesting Mm -hmm. situation where here in our year of our lord 2021 we have a gay character who's very self-aware who is confident who expressed boundaries still gets killed and we have the one who is like you know quote-unquote a coward who ran away who like gets the worst fate but still ends up dying in the end like what yes out of a mercy you know euthanized in in a in some point but then eventually dehumanized because you see him like just kind of sitting on the ground eating something like a dog so not a yeah. great treatment for queer people. Not a great, not a great treatment of queer folks. Because we're gay folks. best friends. This is what white women do to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. We see you, Becky. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So that was. I mean, it's weird because on one hand, I love that. To your point that you just made, I love that it very unapologetically showed a queer romance and in a non stereotypical one but in a respectful way, talked about a real issue that to this day, a lot of us face the whole, like how do we show our love in public in a way that we're not fearful and we're proud. So I love and respect that. But when you look at the ultimate result, not so great. We get our head smashed in and our eyes, but burned out. But at the same time, I didn't necessarily feel bad about that in particular, because I at least felt the characters were given a good honorable story arc throughout the movie so i didn't i didn't necessarily think of course look there we go the gay people don't ever make it out i didn't quite go there well maybe i kind of did with my whole outrage over how my louise was (laughs) treated hashtag justice for louise (laughs) right i wanted a sequel to that one he'll come back in spirit form and haunt the shit out of freaking karen who got him killed and then 
we'll see her go through it. The title of this episode is going to be Karen who got him killed. That's (laughs) (laughs) the Karen who got him. Karen done got him killed. Uh, Well, we thank you so much, Adam, for joining us today and uh, chatting, bringing this film to us again. This is one of those movies I hadn't watched in a very long time. I don't even know. It's probably been a decade since I sat down and really seriously watched it. I watched it a lot when it first came out Mm -hmm. um, just because it was just so bonkersville that it was kind of fun you know, to, to watch. So it was a fun to revisit it and kind of think about it. And <laughs> I was going to say, remind you of home homesick. Right. Exactly. <laughs> remind me of home. Yeah. Um, so thank you again. We hope that you'll join us uh, again uh, sometime. Cause this was really fun to chat oh, with you. I'm sure to. there are lots of other horror films. We can take a deep dive in uh, Joe, as always, I adore you. Uh, dear listener, we thank you. Please uh, continue to like, you know, subscribe rate listen share whatever it is people are doing clog um clog exactly <laughs> <laughs> yes it's what i do in my appalachian minnesotan area i just right. start clogging while i'm listening to my podcasts exactly i love it that's perfect uh <laughs> well thank you both very much thank you all for listening and uh good night Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davey Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.